Welcome to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast, the resource for parents and students navigating the college planning process. Felicia Gopal, founder of collegefundingresource.com and creator of the College Decision Navigator System, talks with world-class college planning experts who openly and honestly share the triumphs and challenges families face every day in helping their children get into and pay for the colleges of their choice. We want you to feel like you're sitting down with our experts and getting their best ideas without paying their considerable consulting fees. So sit back and relax as Felicia interviews others about the issues and concerns of selecting colleges, competing for a coveted place in a class, and ultimately paying for the colleges that admit your kids. Hello, this is Felicia Gopal of College Funding Resource. We've got another resource that I know that you guys are going to be looking forward to and hearing more about. Today I've got Devethia Thompson on the phone. She's going to be talking about scholarships. I know that that is a topic that parents want to know more and more information about. So, Devethia, are you on the line? I am on the line. Hello, Felicia. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. Good. So the reason I had Devethia come on and talk today is the fact that Devethia's got five children, and scholarships became a strategy that she has gone out and been very successful in implementing. And I know a lot of the parents who are going to be listening to this are going to want to know how they can get scholarships for their children. So Devethia is going to come in and talk to you and share some information about how she's been successful in getting scholarships for her kids, and that's really the genesis of our phone call today. So, Devethia, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your family, please? Okay. Well, I live in Converse, Texas, and I do have five children ages 20 to 12. I have two who are in college, a sophomore and a freshman at MIT in Cambridge. I am an attorney by profession. I attended Brandeis University and Boston University Law School, and I practice in the bankruptcy and commercial collections area, and I also do some college counseling. Great. So the college counseling came out of having two children that were getting ready to attend college and are currently in college? That's correct. My oldest, who's a sophomore, we started the process in 2005. You know, I had five kids in college, and They attended private school, so we really didn't have any money set aside for college. So we immediately said we're going to have to see what we can do about getting scholarships, either from the universities that they attended or from private sources. So we started doing research. It started on the Internet. Is there a particular website that you started with on the Um, Internet? actually just started with general searches on Google or Yahoo or MSN. There are search engines that I stumbled over later on that completely focus on college scholarships like FastWeb is one of those searches. But when I first started, I just did, you know, scholarships for high school students interested in engineering math because that's what my son was interested in. And as I would just spend hours upon hours reviewing some of the links that I got to, I discovered FastWeb, which is a service that you can register for. And based on your interests, 
your GPA, your standardized test scores, they will send you an alert of various scholarships nationwide that your student should apply for. I tell people to use FAMSWEB all the time, but I have two very small children, so I've never actually used FAMSWEB. Uh, did you find that to be a very helpful service in terms of it? Because I've heard both pluses and minuses. Yes, it's a very helpful service, but if you haven't clearly defined your profile, then you kind of don't get good alerts. Is that an accurate Well, statement? I find it to be very helpful, and I think it's probably good not to narrow your search. I mean, I think it's better to get more information than less information because, one, you're talking about 17, 18-year students who may have some idea what they're interested in, but, you know, their opinions are going to change about what they want to do in college, what areas they want to study. So you want to get as much information as possible because you never know what your student may be qualified for in terms of the criteria of the scholarship. So if, you, if you're too limited, you'll miss some. So I think it's better to be a little over-inclusive, get the information if you feel like this isn't something that we qualify for or this isn't something that my student is interested in, then you can always delete that information. And part of the reasons why I started doing college counseling is because just getting this research, I would see that there are scholarships out there that my son may not have been qualified, but I knew a friend whose daughter was interested in architecture, or I had a friend whose son wanted to go into medicine, or I had a friend whose daughter was good at creative writing. Well, when I would see these other scholarships, I would say, hey, this could be a good thing for your child to look into. So I just thought it was always better to be a little over-inclusive than to narrow the search. Well, when did you get started on the scholarship search? One of the biggest things that I see oftentimes is parents wait until, you know, September, October, December, March of their children's senior year. And I usually make the suggestion that they start in their junior year looking for scholarships. How about yourself? What did you find to be the case? When did you get started? I started early. I started probably the spring of my son's sophomore year. And um, one of the reasons why I was glad that I started is because some of the scholarships that I thought that he qualified for, they required, you know, a community service um, component. So you had to do so many hours of community service. Um, they would often ask about um, in the science and engineering areas if you've done any research. You know, so starting early um, gave my son the opportunity to look into summer opportunities that would give him the experience that he need to be competitive for the scholarship. So I started, um, I started early, and I don't regret doing that. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. So your, the scholarships that you were primarily looking for were really kind of geared towards your children, um, which were science and, and math-oriented type of things or engineering type. Did you also find that, as you said, you were passing along scholarships that your, your friend's um, daughter who was interested in architecture could apply for? Did you also find that in, in that search they also had um, requirements that would have had parents to consider, you know, setting their kids up in their sophomore year to do summer projects that would allow them to be in a good position for the scholarships. Yes, I or, did, because even some of the organizations that sponsored the scholarships 
would also have summer programs. Mm. You know, so the two were sort of intertwined. You know, I could be doing a search on a summer program and run across, you know, a, a summer program sponsored by the National Society of Black Engineers. And then when I pursued, you know, going to the National Society of Black Engineers website, then I would discover, well, they also have college scholarships for high school students and for upperclassmen and for collegiate students. So the two kind of go hand in hand. Oh, well, that's, that's good information. I actually teach a course where I actually put on a program for the National Association of Black Accountants, and they have a summer program called the um, ACAP program, the Accounting Awareness Program. And it's very, very similar. They've got a summer program, and if you participate in their summer program, then you are in a position to apply for their, their scholarship. So I think that that's um, good information for parents to have picked up on is sometimes you need to start er even earlier than you think because you may need to put your son or direct your son or daughter to participate in a summer program and the only way you're going to know that and be able to take advantage of the opportunities is to get started earlier rather than waiting till the last minute and hoping you get the, the scholarships that you're, you're looking for. That's correct. So I would recommend the spring of the sophomore year. Because June, the summer of the junior year, I think, is the most important for high school students um, in terms of their um, preparation for college with standardized testing, um, doing the research on which colleges they want to attend, what those requirements are for the colleges. So doing the scholarship search a year ahead of time really will help you focus by that summer after your junior year when you really have to start making some decisions as to what schools you're applying to, what tests are you taking, what scholarships are you going to apply for. Great. So the reason you started to look for scholarships is because your kids had always attended private school and you didn't have the money set up and uh, put aside to pay for college. Is that accurate? That's accurate. And based on our um, family um, contribution, um, I knew my student would not be able to um, qualify for a Pell Grant so that any loans that my student had to go to college, my, the parents would have to borrow it. My husband and I would have to borrow the money. So when, when we're looking at doing that for five kids, that can get awfully expensive. So we immediately knew that we needed to get some assistance for our children to attend college. So your two sons are going back to uh, MIT, what, in the in, in, in the August? Fall. One <laughs> is starting as a first year and one who's going back as a sophomore. So what types of results, what types of scholarships money had you got? Is there national money? Is there local money? Do you, did you make the distinction between the two? Did you just look for one versus the other? So I kind of threw in a bunch of questions all in one. Right. But well, I think... The, the first place to start in terms of looking for the scholarships, and we've been successful getting scholarships on the local level, the state level, and the national level, so we've been very fortunate. But the first place to start is your school counselor because most of the information um, about private scholarships in your local area, the administrator of that scholarship is going to send that information to the counselor. So the first thing I would do is recommend 
to parents to set up a meeting with the counselor sometime towards the end of the junior year and let the counselor know that your student is interested in you know, applying for private scholarships, that your student needs to get private scholarships to help um, the student go to college so that the counselor is looking out for um, those scholarships when they come in so that the counselor immediately thinks of your student when certain scholarships come in. And uh, hold on, I'm going to really, interrupt you just for a second. Sure. So, did you are you saying talk to the counselor in the you said the junior year, but you've been talking about starting to look for scholarships in your sophomore year. So, did you mean have that person look for scholarships or direct scholarships in your sophomore year or in your junior year? Or well, I think the parents should do the research on the internet the sophomore okay. year to see what scholarships are out there. I think though by the the spring of the junior year, it's, it's early enough to meet with the college counselor because the college counselor is going to start getting this information from the private scholarship sources the fall of the student senior year. Okay. So if you meet with that college counselor, you know, six months ahead of that date, that would be enough time. But if you, if you start sophomore year and you're starting to do some research, you will run across some of these local scholarships in your Internet research and so that you will be familiar with these names so that when you meet with the college counselor, you can mention some of these scholarships, you know, and tell the counselor, you know, please look out for, you know, the McDonald's scholarship or the Walmart scholarship or, you know, whatever local scholarships you may have. You will have some idea of what they are so that the counselor understands that, you're serious about, you know, getting this information. Um, also let your student know that when you get this information from your counselor, don't just throw it in the trash. Just Don't just stick it in your locker, stick it in your backpack. This is something that you need to bring home because we need to follow up on this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's hard to meet with the counselor really before your junior year, especially at some of the large schools because they have so many students so many seniors that they're trying to process. Right. So, you know, meeting too early, you know, may not serve your purpose because the counselor may not remember who your student is because they're focused on the seniors. So if you go in the spring of your jun- your student's junior year, by that point all the seniors have been processed, they're, all their applications are in, and so the counselor is starting to focus on the next class. So okay. you're getting the early jump. Well, that makes sense. One of the things that I also talk to parents about is I talk about putting together kind of a spreadsheet that's got, you know, the date, the names of the scholarships, the date of the application, what sorts of requirements, so that you can kind of line some of that stuff up in advance. Because one of the biggest mistakes or the, one of the things that I see all the time, since this is what I do, is people are sending me, you know, information about scholarships. They're sending it to me um, in, you know, October, November, December when they're getting the information, but they're also getting it oftentimes really late in the game. And they're passing it on to me because this is what I do, and then they're asking me to put it out to the people that I talk to. But to me, that seems like you're not necessarily putting people in the best position to qualify because your senior year, there's a lot of stuff you have to do your senior year. You have to take your standardized test. You have to do your college admissions. You have to do all of You have to apply for scholarships. You have to, you know, start looking at colleges. 
perhaps. You have to do a lot of stuff. And if you're also looking for the first time at scholarships and what the requirements is, you may not have time to get the letters of recommendation that you need and all the rest of it. Do you think that that would be um, helpful advice for parents to follow? I recommend that 100%. I definitely had a spreadsheet. Um, mm -hmm. And I broke mine down by month because really, if you do this process vigorously every month, you will be applying for at least one scholarship. Okay. So I would, like I said, you start the research early, um, especially when it comes to the national scholarships. Usually the deadlines don't change, so it's going to be the same month every year. Okay. So, for example, uh, you know, if you're applying for the Coca-Cola scholarship fund, well, that scholarship is due in October every year. You know what I mean? So if yes. you do the research, you know that that's due in October. Even if you don't have the application, you know that it's due in October. So in September, about at least three weeks before the scholarship is due, you need to contact the people who need to do the recommendations and let them know that you're going to need the re recommendation. Always give them at least a deadline that's a week before your hard deadline that you need to get everything in so that you have all your documents assembled in time and postmarked in time. Usually, and a lot of people don't think to do this, they'll just give the recommender the form, but you really should give the recommender all the information about the qualifications for the scholarship, the criteria, what they're going to judge you on so that the recommender can include some of those points in the recommendation. Well, that, so makes, a, that makes a whole lot of sense. Right. But you would be surprised that a lot of people will just turn in the form. Well, the form is not going to have all the pre-information that you get when you're applying for the scholarship. So your recommender needs to get copies of that information, too. You know, I've, I've talked to parents about scholarships all the time, and that is not something that I've ever mentioned. So thank you very much for that information. So we were talking about getting started at the local level in terms of scholarships, and you said that you also got scholarships at the state and the national level. So right. is there a distinction between the three types of levels that you've, you've broken it down to? Well, the distinction is basically criteria or weeding out process. The local scholarships, they're usually available to students in that city or in that school district or in that county. Okay. So you're not competing with students from all over the state and all, all, all over the country for those scholarships. So that should be your first starting point because you're going to be most competitive in your home environment. And you start with, you know, the sororities, the fraternities, any professional organizations like in Texas. Um, in San Antonio, we had a chapter of the Texas Professional Engineers that offered scholarships to local students. Um, mm. You know, some of these organizations also have national umbrellas that you can apply for scholarships. But always start at home first. And again, most of those local scholarship um, organizations will send the information to the school. I like the fact that you said that it's, you're the most competitive at the local level, but I also describe it as it's also the easy money. Um, you know, in terms of my, my sorority, 
like my mother made sure that you know my niece got a scholarship from there and all of her friends kids got scholarships from there I couldn't get the scholarship from there because I'm also her daughter but you know it's just like that's often the easy money it's like your I call it the book money you know they often will pay for your books or you know five hundred dollars a thousand dollars the number the amount of money that you can get at the local level is um, generally smaller in amount but you know I mean you get something from you know four or five different institutions or organizations you know that can that can add up to some nice little money that you know your parents don't have to come out of pocket to pay correct and some of those scholarships are renewable mm. you know so you're not just looking at your freshman year you're looking at being able to renew these scholarships that, you know, once you've got them, you're pretty much, if you maintain whatever GPA requirement they require, you can continue to get that money. So definitely, the, the first thing is to start locally. And then certain states have scholarship for state students. Some of them are restricted for students who go to school in-state. Some of them are not restricted. You can go to any school. You just have to be a, you know, a state resident. And you, you can go to the um, Department of Education in that state, go to their website. They will list their scholarships. Um, they will also send this scholarship information to, to the high school council, the statewide scholarship. Okay, so the guidance counselors are at, at the high schools will have the information both at the state level and also at the local level, and they're usually the first point of contact for um, for scholarships that your, your students may be uh, interested in applying for. Okay. That's correct. That's correct. Um, another thing I did, and um, I would suggest parents do this, is ask the counselors every year to give you a list of where the students went to school, what scholarships the previous class was awarded. You know, if you can get that list, then you, you've got a running list that you can start with and you can go directly to those organizations. Most of them will have a website or a link, you know, to a general website where you can get information about that scholarship so that you know the name of that scholarship even before the counselor gets the next year's information. Um, it was easier for me to do that because, again, my kids went to private schools, so, you know, we're talking about just 100 students as opposed to five or 600 students. But, I mean, usually even at a large public school, the pool of students who are getting scholarships is small enough that the school probably um, maintains those records and knows, you know, what organizations gave their students scholarships. Um, another place, even in addition to your high school counselor, is your your school board. You know, their websites, they will list scholarships that are available to, you know, students throughout the district. So I'll always look at, um, you know, the school district's website and the school board's website for information. Wow. So you've given us some great information. How about at the, lo at the national level? At the national level, um, the first place would be to start with, you know, professional associations. Like I said, you know, in engineering, there's National Society of Black Engineers, the National Society of Professional Engineers. You know, if you're interested in electrical engineering, there's going to be some national professional association that promotes that field. You'll find the same thing in science. Um, you'll find the same thing in journalism, architecture, accounting, like you mentioned. So 
start with the professional organizations because they are looking for students who have an interest in going into that field. And they, the professional people donate money to keep that industry going. So I would start there. And then I would register on sites like FastWeb and try to be as broad as possible with your interests. Um, you know, religious organizations on the local and national level, they will offer scholarships. There will be scholarships on the national level that um, you can do a search, you know, scholarships for Hispanic students and na nationwide all of the organizations that promote scholarships for Hispanic students will be listed. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of taking the time to do the research. Well, and how much time does it take? There's a lot of information on the Internet. You want to start early. How much time should a parent consider taking for this exercise? Because I think the thing that I, I've noticed is oftentimes people are waiting to the last minute, which we're, we're definitely not encouraging. But I think the other thing that's perhaps surprising for them is how much time this whole process takes. When I talk to students about this, it's, I tell them it's almost like this is your part-time job in your senior year, writing the applications, sending them in, following up, you know, all, getting all the information together. Would you, you know, did you find that when your, your sons were kind of going through this process, it was um, perhaps more time-consuming than you thought, or would you say that, you know, this could be done in, you know, five minutes? Or, I mean, just no, it definitely was. I think in terms of the research, you know, I personally probably spent at least 10 to 20 hours you know, over the course of a year, you know, because I gave myself time, you know, when I had a little free time on weekends, doing this research in terms of actually filling out the application. I mean, I think it will take a student at least two hours okay. to fill out the application because a lot of them want supplemental information. You know, they may want a portfolio of your community service, so that means, you know, um, going back looking for newspaper clippings, if anything was ever documented, pictures, you know, um, letters that support the number of community service hours that you've done. So just depending on how organized you have been in terms of um, keeping all the documentation, and that's one thing I, I would recommend, parents start as early as ninth grade. You know, when your son is highlighted in the school newspaper, the school bulletin, the church bulletin, anything keep those clippings because that's going to be important in the college admissions process especially in the college scholarship process because they do ask for documentation of what you say you're doing you know so I think it's important that you keep all of this so that you know when it's October and you know your friend sends you information about a scholarship that may be due in two weeks you've got the information there it's just taking the time to compile it so the quickest you're looking at is about two hours in terms of preparing um, preparing one of these applications. And, I mean, it could take as long as a week, just depending on how much information you have to assemble. And then that doesn't include the essay. I mean, but let me ask you a question, just kind of sure. to backtrack. But it seems to me that if you get all the information at the outset, then you can kind of use it to 
for the various different op- uh, information. It's not like you have to keep recreating the same information. Exactly. It seems like exactly. once the, once you've kind of put it all together, have it all in one place, then when they're asking for, tell me about your community service, you've got, okay, here's all my community service. Tell me about the organizations you belong to. Well, here's all the organizations I belong to. If you have it kind of divided in, in those ways, then it seems like you really only have to do the work once to put it all together, and right. then you can use it for multiple scholarship applications. I agree. I agree 100%. And what I was going to say is, in terms of the essays, it's the same thing. Usually the essays that you use for the college scholarship applications are the same ones you did for your college admissions essay. So, you know, if you just start the whole college process early enough, You've already got your essays in place, except for the scholarships they may be due in September and October of your senior year. But, you know, for the most part, most of them will be due in January of your senior year and later. Then, you know, you've already done your essays for college admissions, and it's just a matter of finding the essay that you've already written and tweaking it. Yeah, that I could not reinventing the wheel each time. And I think that that's an important point for parents and, and students to get is once you've kind of done the work once, you know, either for college admissions or for a scholarship, it's, you don't have to keep redoing the same work. And I think that that's important because I think sometimes you look at all the things that they're asking for, and if you haven't done any of the work, that's a little bit overwhelming. overwhelming. Right. I agree with you 100% on that. And the same way for the counselor or the teacher or the community leader who's writing the recommendation. Once they've done it once, then they've got the information. You know, everybody uses a word processor. It's in the system. And so they just have to tweak it for each scholarship application or for each college. You know, they don't sit there and write a new recommendation each time. Well, I think that's important for you to to hear because I have to tell you, when I was applying for scholarships, when I went to uh, college, you know, eons ago, um, I wanted to be an attorney. That was the thing that I wanted to do. But my father was an accountant, so he belonged to an accounting organization. He said, well, apply for a scholarship from them. And I didn't tweak it. And so basically I was writing to an accounting organization telling them I wanted to be an attorney. And so they were basically, sit, they sent me back this nice letter, then sent your application to an organization that supports right. that. What we support is people who want to become accountants. And I just, I mean, I still, you know, 20 years later remember that letter. I mean, they were very nice and very polite. But make sure that when you are using that tweaked information that you make sure that it's still geared towards the organization that you're applying for as opposed to the organization that you just applied to. That's correct. That's correct. And then there's a lot of cross-discipline studies out there. So, for example, if you want to be a doctor, you know, you can apply for scholarships in the medical profession, but you can also apply for scholarships in the engineering profession because there's biomedical engineering, you know, Mm. that that requires, you know, a basic understanding of medicine. So there's some cross-disciplines that, you, like you say, you just have to tweak your essays and your interests just a little bit, you know, to qualify for the different, the different programs. 
So I also you know, recommend parents have their students start a resume, you know, so that the student is keeping track of all of their accomplishments, you know, starting ninth grade. That's important, too, because sometimes, you know, it's senior year and you're trying to remember what did I do two years ago, what award was that, and, you know, you're spending hours upon hours trying to find that certificate so you can include that award in your application when if you – you know, maintain the resume and updated it, you know, at least um, bi-yearly, then that information is right there. And that makes a lot of sense because I remember when I graduated from college, we had the opportunity um, at my graduation to say all the things that you did. And I remember frantically searching through all of my pieces of paper to come up with, you know, what was the name of that, you know, that organization that gave me that, and what was that certificate that I got, and all the rest of that. So I think that makes a whole lot of sense is, you know, starting your freshman year, start to document what it is that you did, um, and basically keep a running um, list of everything that you've done so that, again, when you're applying for scholarships, you don't have to go back and recreate that because there will probably be something significant that you did that you may have forgotten about it in the rush to put together and apply for a scholarship. That's correct. And I think the thing that probably discourages most people from private scholarships is they look at the application and then they always say, this is too much information to get together in too short a period of time. So being prepared and being organized, you know, going into your senior year, I think is 80% of the battle. Because if you've got this information at the tip of your fingers, then it's, you're just talking about taking some time to assemble it. Wow. So are there any kind of common mistakes that you see parents and students make as they kind of go through this process? One, they don't read the application thoroughly to really make sure that they're following the instructions. I mean, especially when you're looking at the national scholarship that thousands of students are going to be applying for. You know, if you apply for a lot of scholarships, you know, you may overlook the fact that they want a community leader to do the recommendation and not a teacher. And so you're so used to seeing applications that say, I need a teacher's recommendation, teacher's recommendation, that instinctively you just give it to your teacher. And sure enough, the recommendation is saying, no, I need a community leader, you know, a pastor, a rabbi, a scout leader. They want someone who's seen you interacting in the community to do the recommendation. So you've got to read the application. The second thing is deadlines. You just got to meet deadlines. You would be surprised on the local level when it comes to scholarship. Not a lot of students apply or their applications will get thrown out because they haven't met the deadline. Mm. So you, you, you just got to meet your deadlines. You just got to meet your deadlines, which means sometimes, you know, you have to stay on top of your counselor, or your teacher, or your community leader to get those recommendations in time, which is why you want to always give them as much notice as possible um, so that you can meet your deadlines. Those are the two, the two main things. People who submit incomplete applications or untimely applications. So it sounds like you're the type of parent that stays on their children to make sure that they they do what they need to in terms of their deadlines. So is it fair to say that this is really kind of a partnership between the parents and the students to make sure that deadlines are met? You can't 
necessarily just leave it to the student to fill out the application. As a parent, if it's something that's important to you, you've got to stay on your students to make sure that they're getting their deadlines, they're making sure that they pass, give it to whoever needs to get it and get it back in time? Or did you Absolutely. really kind of get involved in this process? Was it your process or was it your student's process or was it a combination of the two? It was a combination of the two. I mean, the student filled out the application. My students did their essays. I sort of kept track of the deadlines because you have to approach the college scholarship process just like you would do the college admissions process. So just like you wouldn't let your student write their college essay the, the night before the January 1st deadline, you have to approach the college application, I mean, the college scholarship process the same way. I mean, parents do have to stay on their students, especially if they are doing this after they've already completed the college application process because most students, they want to take that sigh of relief and, okay, I'm finished with this process. But as parents, we understand how important you can get an additional $5,000 in scholarships, how important that is to your family, especially if you have other children. I mean, I had a lot of friends who became clients who would, based on their estimated family contribution, when they got their financial aid packet, they would say, we're about $10,000 short. Well, that $10,000 can be made up in private scholarship. It's just a matter of everyone being diligent and applying for them. And you know you don't get every scholarship that you apply for. So if you need 10000 then you've probably got to apply for 30000 worth, you know, so that you can get the 10000 Right, right. Well, is there anything that surprises you about the whole scholarship search or the parents that you work with? I think sometimes one of the things that I find is parents think that if they get $10,000 of, of scholarship money, for instance, or $5,000 of scholarship money, then that's going to reduce their expected family contribution down, the amount that they're going to have to pay out of pocket for college. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, have you found that to be true? I found that to be true, and I guess I had to learn that the hard way <laughs> with my first <laughs> with my first son going to college. What the private scholarship does is really eliminate the student's contribution. Um, most universities will have a component that they expect the student to either save during the summer. Uh, if the student has a savings or something, they expect the student to, you know, contribute a certain amount of that to their tuition. Usually the expenses that the school will say, well, the student's going to be responsible for would be books, travel, um, you know, personal expenses. So the private scholarship really supplements um, those expenses. And most colleges will tell the student, you know, if you can't save $5,000 over the summer or you haven't saved $5,000, you know, in some sort of private form through donations from your parents, then you can borrow that money. So what the private scholarship allows you to do is to supplement that resource so that the student doesn't have to borrow that money. I mean, because when it comes to borrowing for tuition, the parents really have to qualify to borrow the money for tuition for it to be one of the government insured loans that the student would get in their name. Um, you know, if your parent's estimated family contribution, you know, is too high, your student can't go borrow $40,000 to go to college. They expect the parents to borrow that money. 
And so, if you've got multiple children, then that right, can that be... could just be very, very expensive. And it could really be prohibitive of some of your younger children going to the college of their choice. So what the student can borrow, though, is, you know, that five to $10,000 that the student needs to kind of get them over the hump with their personal expenses and books and travel, you know, from school to home and things like that. That's where the private scholarships come in to supplement. Now, some private scholarships, you know, like the Gates Foundation Scholarship, is full tuition, room and board, plus expenses, okay? But you have to be able to qualify for a Pell Grant to be eligible for one of those full-ride scholarships, which means, you know, that your estimated family contribution has to be less than $4,000. You know, so if you know that financially your family will not be able to have an estimated family contribution that low, then more than likely your student's not going to be able to qualify from a financial standpoint for some of these full-ride scholarships. Now, the school may offer full-ride merit scholarships, you know, which probably is a whole nother conversation, you know, about, you know, having your test scores at a level that you can qualify for merit scholarships. But when you're looking at private scholarships, you know, there is a financial component, and they look at the family's income. And, you know, if your income is at a certain level, your student will not qualify for those full-ride scholarships. So mainly when I'm telling parents there's money out there to at least supplement the amount that your student would have to borrow, you know, just to kind of get them over the hump. And when you have a large family like me, it makes a difference to me that my student's not calling home every month, I need $300, I need $400. That makes a difference right? in our family, that they were able to get that money from outside scholarships. Okay. Well, I I get that. So what I wanted to kind of kind of circle back around and just kind of talk about is you were making the, the distinction, and you were saying it a different way, but you were really kind of making the distinction between need-based scholarships and merit-based scholarships. They're really two different things. One is the need-based scholarships are based on your financial need, and typically those are tied to your expected family contribution and the family income and assets. The other ones are merit-based scholarships that are based on your academics, like, for instance, I once was working with a family that had a daughter who was a world-class fencer. And so she was being offered lots of scholarship money to attend basically Ivy League schools because those are typically the types of schools that have fencing programs at college. Um, But she was being offered, you know, lots of scholarship um, money to attend their schools because um, each of them were trying to get her to come based on her her athletic prowess. We, of course, know all of the football players, basketball players who, who get scholarships and stuff right. like that. But the other thing to remember about scholarships is it may not fill all of your needs. I think that that's one of the things I'd like to kind of leave parents with is you certainly hear about, you know, I got $150,000 in scholarships. You see that in the media. They love running those stories, especially in the next right. few months. But the reality is for most people, they don't get all of them all of the money that they're going to need for college from scholarships. So you need to be realistic and I think your point on 
you know, if you need $10,000, you're going to have to apply for $30,000. Scholarships is an important one for parents to pick up because you don't get all the scholarship money you you, you think you're going to get. There's lots of bright and talented students competing for that those same dollars. You know, it's not just your bright and talented student, but there's lots of other bright and talented students whose parents also need scholarship money, and they're going to have to make a decision between your bright and talented student and another one, and sometimes it will go your way, and sometimes it will go towards the other student. So I think that's an important point for parents to understand. Chances are less than optimal that you're going to get all of the money that you think that you're going to need from scholarship. Correct, and and that's that's true. And it may be that first year you don't get as much even from outside scholarships that you think you're going to get. But what I want to tell parents is don't get discouraged because there are scholarships available to sophomores, juniors, and seniors. You know. A lot of organizations have money that they give for college scholarships. They don't necessarily give to freshmen because those that money is geared to students who are pursuing a specific course of study. You know, and freshmen change their mind at least five, ten times in terms right. of what they want their major to be. So. Even if you don't get everything you're looking for freshman year, you still need to continue to do the research, have your student continue to go to their, you know, career placement office at their colleges because there's still scholarship money out there that they can apply for, you know, as upperclassmen. And that's important because I think most parents devote all of their time and attention towards that freshman year. But the reality is you're going to need money. You're probably going to need money each year. So you can get a renewable scholarship. You want to get a renewable scholarship that pays for year, you know, second year, third year, fourth year. But in addition to that, don't stop because there are definitely scholarships that are geared towards sophomores and juniors, juniors and seniors, and stuff like that. And if you don't apply for them, then you don't have the opportunity to get them. I'd say the biggest um, biggest thing that I see again and again in organizations is they keep saying that there just isn't enough applicants. They're, they've got more money than they have applicants to, right. uh, to apply for them. And I think that that's a shame, and that's one of the reasons why we're talking today. Is well, to, and one of the reasons I have to say is most of the private scholarships are a hybrid between need-based and merit-based, mm-hmm. which means you have to have both. And that really limits the applicant pool. I mean, because, you know, if you have a student who is in the top 10% of their class, is a national achievement semifinalist, and whose family has an estimated contribution of $4,000 or less, well, that student is going to probably qualify for some sort of full-ride scholarship at the university they're applying to, but then that student will also be able to qualify for something like the Gates Scholarship, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, the Gates Scholarship is a full-ride, so once you've got a full-ride, you're not applying, you know, to another scholarship who may have the same hybrid component of need base and merit. So that's why a lot of that scholarship money is not distributed because they don't have enough students that kind of fit both of those profiles to qualify for those scholarships. So it's not just about academics necessarily or just about uh, need, but for some scholarships it's actually you need to have both of those, the need and you also have the merit to apply for them and get the scholarship. Correct, correct. 
And act, to be honest with you, most of the scholarships that I have seen have some component of both. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense because you hear in the media, you know, millions of scholarships are not being, you know, are going unclaimed. You, and, you Correct. Know, you hear that all the time, but it, but it could be because the applicant pool that is pursuing that doesn't have the qualifications on terms of they don't have enough need, their student, you know, is not of whatever caliber that they're looking for, so they don't have that combination. But the reality is, let's, you know, I want to end on a positive note, is that there's still enough scholarships out there where you can qualify for them, and you just may need to spend some extra time locating those. Right, and they're going to be smaller in dollar amounts, so you have to apply for more of them. You know, I have parents who say, okay, well, we're not going to apply for any scholarship that's under $5,000. Well, you know, the amount of time that it requires to apply for the scholarship, you know, we have to bring in big dollars. Okay, I understand that point, but you've also got 50,000 people that are going to be applying for that same scholarship, you know. Right. So the odds of your student getting it are just, you know, phenomenal as opposed to that local scholarship that may be $750, you know, or that may be $1,000. And if you can get five of those, then you still have met your need yeah. if your goal was the $5,000. So I think parents need to be realistic about it. So do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with us? I think my final thought is I don't think students should get discouraged, you know, that they feel like it's a lot of work because if they're organized, like we talked about, they start the process early, it's definitely something that's doable. The goal should be to apply for at least two scholarships a month because there are enough scholarships out there between the local level, state level, and national level that you can apply for two scholarships a month. Be diligent about your deadlines. Be respectful of the people who are doing recommendations. Try not to give it to them at the last minute. You know, sometimes you do get information at the last minute, but just try to be as respectful as possible. Some schools will require you to provide stamped address envelopes so that they can just mail it off once they've done the recommendation. Don't hassle them about that. If they want some sort of assistance that way, provide it. Be courteous about it. Don't get discouraged if you don't get the first scholarship that you apply for because it is very competitive and there are a lot of bright students out there. The key is volume. Apply for as many as you feel that you qualify for and follow up, you know. Make sure that they got the information. Some scholarship services will send you an email or a card that says your application is complete. Sometimes it's necessary to follow up because things happen. There's nothing wrong with calling the organization, making sure that they've got your information. And the last thing I want to say is once you've won the scholarship, you have to make sure you follow up in sending the paperwork that the organization requires to get the money. You know, some organizations will require a certification from the school that you're registered, which means you won't get that until you get to school and actually register, which means the money's not going to be sitting there when you first enroll in school. 
So you've got to remember to follow up. You know, some organizations will send you emails that they need you to send information. Just make sure that you follow up, even after you're awarded the scholarship. Well, in the follow-up, I think it's also important that you realize that sometimes the scholarship organizations will send the money to the students. Sometimes they'll send the money to the school. school. So you need to understand that you may not be getting the money in your hot little hands. They may send it directly to the school. And sometimes the school and you both have to sign the check Correct. that the money has come in and then you can use it for school fees or whatever. So I think that you need to understand that because sometimes when I'm talking to parents, they're thinking that, you know, we just got $250, we just got $500, $750, whatever the number is, and they're thinking it's cash in their hand, and that may not right. necessarily be uh, the case. Right, and and believe it or not, if your son or daughter does not go to that financial aid office or the bursar's office and sign that check, that money will be sent back to the organization. So it's something that the student has to be cognizant of. Go to school with a list of your scholarships, the contact person. Sometimes you have to follow up with the scholarship agency if you don't have the money two months into your freshman year, you know, what happened. You've got to follow up. So the process doesn't stop just because you won the scholarship. That has been great information. I thank you very much for your time. I'm sure that the people who listen today are going to get some great information, some good ideas on what they need to do, when they need to start, and how they need to follow through. So the best yes. yet, thank you very much for your time today. And good luck to you and all of your kids as the school year approaches. Thank you so much, Felicia. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast where we will continue to legally share college insider information with parents and students from the insiders themselves. For more information and to instantly download your free copy of the College Funding Resources Report titled Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Mike Elmore for the College Experts Talk Podcast.